See, a rich farmer owned a large patch of land. And this land was very fertile and was used for growing an array of crops, uh, vegetables, fruits, name it. It grew there. The ground produced bountifully. So productive was this farmland that there was an abundance of crops to which there grew a challenge as to where to keep, where to keep it all. So in contemplating what to do with the excess crop, the rich farmer cooked up a great plan. He would demolish his numerous barns he had at his disposal and he would build larger barns on the same location. In doing so, he, would, he could maximise the usage of the land. In addition, he decided that, well, all his belongings might as well go into these large barns. He can store them up there also. Why not kill two birds with one stone? No need for planning consent. That's his land. It made perfect sense. But whilst in, still in his planning stage, his mind wandered to all the possibilities available to him. With retirement on the horizon, he was rather chuffed with himself. I can imagine him just crossing his arms. Like, whew. Life had been good to him. With all his wealth, his possessions, goods, crops, stored under one roof, he was set for many years ready for retirement. He said to himself with contentment, I can live off this for many years, no sweat. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, if you're familiar with this parable, you know that he never made it to retirement. And in fact, at the very night, his daydreams, his thoughts, his plans, we read in Luke 12, 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He thought about how retirement would look like and what the future had in store. Before he could see the fruition of his plans, his life was cut short. And Jesus told his parable to reveal something very profound. A man had approached him seeking for Jesus to tell him, to tell him and to tell his brother to, to give him the inheritance now. The issue was that this man had eyes only on, his, on the possession, the physical possessions. The dollar signs were, were blinding him. Tell my brother to give it to me now. Why is he withholding my inheritance? We can assume that his eldest brother, he was, his, his brother was older than him, right? That's the culture, so that he would have had to apportion the inheritance. But this man had made one blunder. He is the eternal judge, judge, the eternal king right in front of him, standing there. And yet the blindness of natural gain prevented him from having an eternal perspective who's before him, the king of kings. See, on, our outline, on your outline before you, the, the first point, the boasting of life. If we're being honest with ourselves, we're so guilty, we're guilty of boasting, like this man in the parable. 
to various degrees, we make plans about tomorrow. We make plans about the future with such assurance and such certainty. We may not necessarily be overt in the, look at me, look at my plans, or look what I've amassed. But boastfully, our boastful pride reveals itself in various forms. And indeed, it may be difficult for us to see and, and to identify them. Because we make plans without God. When we look at our text again, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. See, verse 16 concludes the illustration that James paints for us. He summarizes it with these words. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James states that such people are boastful, arrogant, committing an evil act. The root is the boasting. So what makes this way of thinking or acting evil and sinful? Well, verse 13 begins with, come now, you who say. Simply, the reader or those this letter is addressed to are commanded to give continual attention to what follows. There is urgency in the word now. Hear me now. Follow what I'm about to write. You who say. The connotation here is it's not just a one-off statement that these people are making. This is a continual boasting. When we look at that, the original word of say there, it's used by James and it comes from the noun logos. It's reason and intelligence. It's, a, it's evidence of strategic planning, careful reasoning about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Is there anything wrong in planning for tomorrow? Surely we are to be wise with our time. Resources, finance. It would be unwise that we don't have financial planning in place for the future. Savings for tomorrow. Savings for a rainy day. Plans to send our children to to university. Saving from now, maybe. Planning when you're going to get married or have children. Are we to say that such planning is wrong? No. But James' gripe and complaint with these readers is that God is far away from their plans. There is no recognition and desire to include God in those plans. They plan without seeking God for guidance. They don't ask God for his will and his direction. There is no requesting of his permission to move or to not to move, to stick or to twist. There is no mention of God from conception to the fruit. Today or tomorrow, I will do this without God. I will go to such a town without God. I will spend a year there without God. I will trade without God. I will make a profit without God. We fall into this trap, don't we? 
How many of our plans have we started, we planned for in this year, we desire to do? Did we consult God about? Did we seek God's face? Maybe you committed some of these things to the Lord at the beginning of 2022. Are you still prayerful about those things? Or has your zeal waned? Have you grown weary already? Do you have it in your heart that you can do nothing beside God's help and his sovereign rule and his sovereign direction? It is so easy to boast about tomorrow. We are conditioned with the process of time to look forward to the next thing. This evening, as you've come from your homes, and your mind will be shifting very soon to tomorrow, the week ahead. So, oh, what have I got to do tomorrow? All the different things. Tuesday, Wednesday, your mind shifts so quickly. It's going to be a busy week. Tomorrow, resuming work from half term. And you say, oh, tomorrow is going to be such a challenge. Right? We're planning already. Running the race. Running this Christian race. We enter into winter and we, we look forward to spring already, don't we? It gets cold, the bills are going up. And you're thinking, just let it come spring and then we don't need to put on the heater as much. We're looking forward. We're expectant, but we're expecting God's will for tomorrow. The turn of 2022 has, has brought so many surprises already. Certainly, we have experienced sickness, death, car crash, hurt, pain. But we have also known God's blessing, God's goodness, God's closeness, his love and his compassion. We're not able to see tomorrow. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. We see the arrogance there. Some may call it confidence, but he says, we will go. Do we even know the risk of crossing that zebra crossing right across this road here? We don't know. Have you prayed about every journey that you embark upon? Do you seek the Lord and surrender to his will? We see the arrogance in the time frame that this person stipulates. I will spend a year or so there. This person is so assured of their trading skills. That, they, that, that such some conviction that they will make a profit. They say it with such certainty that surely profit will come. Not knowing tomorrow, yet speaking with the presumption that they will indeed have enough time to make a profit. Yet no one knows what tomorrow will bring. We've seen so-called prophets couldn't predict covid pandemic this past week the talk of the war that's coming next we don't know what's on Putin's heart do we? we don't know tomorrow but there's a lot of worry at the moment already isn't there 
But the illustration that James poses here seems to suggest that boasting is something maybe done by, by those that have acquired much or well to do. But we must remember from chapter 1 verse 9, it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. There is no life in boasting about wealth, in riches, fame, character, beauty, children, spouse, job, church even. Boast that you are rich in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, in the heavenly places. When we're in Christ, that is our identity. Psalm 27 says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. It is so interesting that we we most boast What we most boast in is evident on what we put our trust in. Where our trust truly lies is what we boast about. Sometimes it's our careers. That's an insurance policy for my pension. Reality is that what you're putting your trust in is what you think will keep you. Boast in Christ and his work on the cross for you. At the feet of the cross, that rich man, that poor man, find their level ground. Both sinners in need of a sinless saviour. See, when the rich young man came to Jesus and knelt down and said, what must I do to have eternal life? He boasted that he had kept the law from all his youth. Yet Jesus said he lacked one thing. What was that? He put his trust in his possessions. What he had amassed is ability and not in a saviour before him. When we look at James 4.16, the Bible says that such boasting is arrogant. Arrogance is, it's like seeking to take God's position. Seeking to be in the position of God. And all such boasting is evil because it's, us either not acknowledging God for who he is or living in ignorance whatever way it is sin see the evil in boasting is defined for us right at creation our proud confidence which is what boasting is reflects an, an object whether that be a person or pursuit if we are made in God's image as revealed in Genesis then any proud confidence in anything other than God, the object of our faith as believers, is sin. Any confidence in the flesh is carnal worship. For a true believer, there is no boasting outside boasting in Christ. Outside of him, Christ, him crucified. Our boast is that we have been crucified with Christ. And Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, 14 to 15, that we should boast in that we are dead to the world and the world is dead to us. 
It isn't what you amass as a possession in this world, but what truly counts is that you are Christ's possession. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection defines the inauguration of a new creation. You are new creation in Christ Jesus. See, our things before Christ must be counted as loss if indeed Christ is our Lord and Saviour. We must be willing to let go. See, living with eternity in view is to commit everything that we have and seek to do God's plan. Seek the eternal God. See, when Jesus is the centre of our lives, every step is governed by him. And we should desire to pray and ask him which way we should go, what we should do next. Should we do that or should we not do it? We must live by faith, knowing that Christ, that our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So your life today and every day is to live for God's glory. If your plans for tomorrow don't involve Jesus, how can you be assured of your plans? Is Jesus at the center of your plans? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? For all true sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. Are you a child of God? Because only true children of God can boast in the inheritance we have in Christ. So boasting is arrogant. It's evil, therefore sinful. And verse 17 rounds things off for us nicely. It talks about the sin of omission. We must contend against sin in our lives, but we don't just live simply to avoid sinning. We risk being like the rich man. Whilst he kept all the laws, he omitted one thing, obedience to Christ and his word. So when we know the right thing to do as revealed in scripture, then we sin if we choose to disobey. So knowing the right thing to do is one thing, but failure to do it is sin. Sin is not just doing wrong things, but when we don't do what we are supposed to do, that is sin. And this morning we saw how easily we sin judging one another. The effects and consequences are easy to see. But with the sins of boasting, it's so difficult. It's not so obvious to us. We must seek and pray to God to, to stop boasting from today. Ask him to give you the eyes to see his promises come to pass. His redemptive plan. His joy made manifest and his character formed in you and in me. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. However, do we know what is round the corner? And this is our second point. The brevity of life. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, the life here mentioned is a human existence in the body of flesh. The human flesh has been cursed from the original sin. A man's days have been numbered since. 
And there is a limit to the number of years we have on this earth. No human knows how long that we have. But one thing is for sure. Our, sh- our stay here is short-lived. We live as if we are in control of our lives. Like tomorrow will always come, but we do not know what tomorrow will bring. Today is promised, but tomorrow, God knows. Unless we know and appreciate the transient nature of human life, we live beyond the realm of today and fantasize about tomorrow. Or that we may ask God to teach us, as scripture says, to number our days. That we may have and gain a heart of wisdom. See, throughout scripture we see God reveal the daily worship of him in word, in thought, in deed. The world says, relax, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. God desires that we seek eternal life. Life for Christ now. Live for Christ now so that you can gain Christ today and tomorrow. We must be humbled by how short life is. All the plans we could ever make for tomorrow must be rooted in knowing that only the all-knowing God sovereignly controls all things and he has numbered our days. See, the problem with making plans on our own is precisely because we have no power, knowledge or wisdom for tomorrow. Think of all the things that have happened, even this year. We could never have predicted them. If I decide over the next six or nine months, say, I'd like to disciple four or five people, but if I don't commit to the Lord, if I don't talk to the Lord about these things, how does my plan compare with the illustration that James paints? Is it any different? Are my seemingly spiritual plans different from the analogy he states? No. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot please God if we do not trust him in order to order our steps for every, everything, committing our plans to him daily basis. What will tomorrow bring? Tests, trials, pain, trouble, joy, great opportunities, sacrifice, anxiety and worry, death. The Bible paints a picture all throughout how short our life is. It's reference to shadows, that grass, that the flower of the grass that just Fades away, the sun scorches like a mist, like a breath. Solomon said, vanity upon vanity, striving for the wind. Our lives are like vapour, like a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. This picture that James paints is sobering and humbling. Life is fleeting, time is relative. Every plan that you make or may make has an expiry date. Everything we will expire, but God and his word remain forever. How should you live as a Christian knowing how brief life is? We should thank God every day. Thank God every day. In this you acknowledge 
him as God for everything that you have. It dampens self-sufficiency and pride. You should thank him for every blessing, every blessed day. You should worship God. Worship God in how we read his word, study ourselves approved. Longing to know more about this living God. Sing hymns, pray to him, seek to talk to him, have a relationship with God. Let's confess our sins to God. Open our hearts, he sees it all. When we confess, we acknowledge him as God and one that can forgive us. We acknowledge that he is our eternal life. We ask and trust God for the future. Proverbs 3, 3 to 5 says, Trust 3 to 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not worry about tomorrow. The Bible says tomorrow has its own worries. There are worries still to come. Do not take the future for granted, though. Do what's needful today. What needs to be done today? Let's just do it today. Let's not leave, oh, I'll do it another day. Do it today. Come to the Lord today. Salvation today. Seek the Lord whilst he may be found. Use the time wisely for things with eternal gain. Things that will last Things that will please the heart of God. Things that, that honour God. Not just worldly things that we pursue. In the walk of life, there are many decisions, many turns to take. Which school our kids should go? What subject or course should we study? Who should we marry? How many kids should we have? Can we have children? What is my career path? How much should I store away for my pension? What age will I retire? How should I go about discipling others? I'm in need of God's word in my life. Where do I start? Which Bible plan is ideal for me? I've been trying to read a Bible throughout my life. How do I learn to study God's word? I struggle to pray. How do I pray more? When will this pain and suffering cease? I need help. I'm tired of my current situation. Who will help me? Return to God. We seek his guidance. We look for his help. At the turn of this year, a man I knew, I'd known for over a decade, he walked out of his house at 8.45pm in sub-zero temperatures. He had only a light attire on unsuitable for the outdoors at the time. And his partner became rather concerned when he became unreachable and sounded out help. The following day, a rescue team was sent out to look for this man in and around the village. He'd lived there for many years, lots of friends. Everyone saw this man as a friendly man. He'd just walk around with his dog and have a chat, spend time with people. Word had gone round, Facebook messages, 
Let's go out to find our friend. What has happened to him? Time was running out. Prior to this, I had had many conversations with this man towards the end of 2021, and his anxiety levels had grown. You could tell. I'd experienced the sweat on his head as he talked and questioned his medications and other things. Just worry. Maybe the pandemic, I don't know, had an influence. He would parabolate and talk and you're trying to make sense of everything he's saying, but you could tell he's just worried, just questioning life. What is happening? He had constant questions. Something wasn't right, but we couldn't put a finger on it. Three days after his search, he was found deceased in a lake. He had given up the fight. He was constantly battling worry and anxiety. Life was not worth living anymore. And as I think about this man, I'm reminded that living life without seeking and knowing the will of God becomes a barrage of questions with no answers. A life without proper view, without the proper view of God and his eternal plans is like going to a destination that you you don't know where you're going. You have no sat knife to get there. You just embark on the journey. No one does that. Why then would we not seek the wisdom of God before we embark on any journey or make any plans or decisions? Christian, in your short time on this earth, James says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, the will of God supersedes your will. His desires are greater and they are holy. His wisdom is pure. It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Our plans, our stance should be that I plan to do this and so, and I'm going to ask the Lord first before. Allow prayer and God's word to provide that discernment that we need. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? First Thessalonians helps us, doesn't it? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But here's the warning. First Thessalonians 19 to 20. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Just to highlight one thing here. When when Paul is talking about this, you must have a perspective of what happened in Acts with Paul. As you read through Acts, this man has been building up many churches over the years in Galatia, in Macedonia, in Greece. Planting church in, a church in, in Ephesus. And now he's about to go back to Jerusalem. You can read about this in, in, in Acts 20, 21 and 22. See, the disciples he visited, they warned him that through the Spirit, the Bible says, not to go to Jerusalem. But then he goes and visits Philip and some family members there and his daughters. 
And then a well-known prophet, Agabus, he says this, taking the belt off Paul, he's, he's taking his belt and then strangling his, his hands together. He says this, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. And finally, on hearing this, Luke, the writer of Acts, and others, they urged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But what did Paul do? What did Paul say and do? Acts 21, 13 says this, what are you doing? Weeping, breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem. Let the will, and we ceased, the Bible says, they ceased talking anymore and said, let the will of the Lord be done. See, Paul rejoiced always, prayed without ceasing. He gave thanks in all circumstances. If you read Philippians, you see the joy that's overflowing in Paul. Because why? Because that was the will of God for him. But yet he did not quench the spirit. Why? Because God had already promised him. God already told him in, in Acts 9. Through Ananias. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. For my name. Paul was not quenching the spirit and not listening to his brothers and disciples and those of the household of faith. He was not quenching the spirit and going against the wishes of his friends and the prophet. The mere fact that he knew God's will, that he was able to then test what he heard and hold fast what is good, what he knew, what he knew of God's will for him. See, though the Holy Spirit was indeed sending Paul a warning through the disciples, friends and, prof and the prophet Agabus, they misunderstood the purpose. The purpose was to prepare Paul for the assignment God had planned for the preaching of the gospel, even in chains and suffering. The warnings were one of deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, yet that awaits you. But you're not going in my own strength, in your own strength, you're going in my strength. Discernment, knowing God's will is so important. What made Paul so assured of God's will for him to go to Jerusalem? It's because he knew this. He knew the bearer of life. God is that bearer of life, the author of life. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Any will outside of Christ is the wrong turn for your life. So where is this final point in James as we return there? Verse 15 says this, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God in Christ Jesus has purchased every true believer by his death on the cross. He's purchased eternal life. 
He bled and died for you and me in our helpless state. He, he gave us life by his death and resurrection. He fulfilled all righteousness. He knew the Father's will and executed it, executedly, executed it perfectly. He had perfect obedience, even to death on the cross. If indeed we have been crucified in Christ, it is no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. And your life, though it be in the flesh, is lived out by faith and trust in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Those who live a life of faith in Christ have eternity written. We have eternity written on our hearts. The life gates open for all those who Christ has yielded his life and atonement for sin. That moment a pardon received, eternal life with Christ is guaranteed. See, the brevity of life is not the concern, but your perspective of eternity is important. It's the concern. Eternity with God starts now for every true believer. For every follower of Christ, it starts that moment. Lord causes us to turn from our sins and to put our trust and faith in him. We know this, that he that has started a good thing on this earth is able to bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus. Do you know this Jesus? Are we seeking to grow to know him, to know his will, to know his plans for our lives? to speak to him, to draw nearer to his word so we know which path to take. It's not that we shouldn't make plans, but rather that we commit our plans to the Lord before we make them. We don't make the plans and say, by God's will. We seek God's will and make our plans. The Lord directs our path. It's not just the words that we say, if the Lord wills. But it's truly, is our heart seeking for God's will? Is it seeking to know God's will? Is it seeking to spend time with God so that we know his will? And he directs us through his spirit. We need to know Jesus more and more. Know that gospel. Let us be gospel saturated. To know Jesus is to know him as the bearer of life. The author and perfecter of our faith. To have eternal life that transcends the brevity of life. Life in here is short, but we have eternal life. We have so much joy. We have so much peace. To know Jesus is to boast in Christ and him crucified. That he has died on the cross. That he has completed the work on the cross. It is finished. Our tomorrow is assured in him. In him alone. And then we live by his will. We live by his will as we grow to know our Jesus more and more. A help to us, a strong tower, our brother that has gone ahead of us, our high priest, our intercessor, is praying for us each day. Let us seek to know him. Let us cry out to the Lord to help us, to cause our hearts to hunger for more and more of Christ.
This is how we live with eternity in view. To keep our eyes firmly fixed on Christ now, today. Trust in him for today and for tomorrow. Amen.